0: or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.
1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. There's so many freshwater fishing opportunities around Mississippi with more than 4,000 miles of streams and 282,000 acres of lakes and reservoirs. Today, we'll welcome back Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks to talk fishing in public and private waters and where to find ramps and piers. Dr. Majors here, ready for your pet questions. Libby always likes to hear about encounters with nature. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And I always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Let's uh, start with you. And I think uh, to kick us off, you had an event that you wanted to mention.
2: Yes, I just wanted to remember because we talk about um, problems with invasive species a good bit on our show. And uh, this coming Saturday at the Mississippi Aquarium down in Gulfport, And you don't need an excuse to go there, but you can use this as your excuse to go if you're interested in invasive species. And uh, so they're going to have a program about invasive species. You go on their website if you want to learn more about it or if you want to buy the tickets in advance, which I think is a good idea for every place now. I'm old-fashioned enough that I forget to do that, but um, it it saves time everywhere you go almost. I know at the Natural Science Museum they encourage that now too. Mm -hmm. I've been still looking for my butterflies, and they're late this year, about a little bit. So um, if anybody has seen uh, those early butterflies, what I usually look for are the pearl crescents and the little orange-tipped butterflies. I like those a lot. So if anybody's seeing those, they might give us a call. Uh, the um, the red buds are out, and this is maybe an odd thing, but I enjoy watching them and even though they sometimes give me problems as a homeowner, carpenter bees. We've talked about them in depth here. And I saw my first ones this week and, uh, you know, right in the face <laughs> saying hello. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to just mention them again because I think a lot of people might just sweat those down and stomp on them. But I was going to give you a few reasons not to. Okay. They uh, they do fertilize Plants, native plants, and particularly may pops. And um, what I'm talking about is a about the size of a bumblebee, but a bumblebee, you know, is fuzzy all over and got two, mm-hmm. usually two. I guess at least two. There's several species of <coughs> bumblebees, but they've got a stripe of yellow on their back or along around their body. And the uh, carpenter bee has yellow on his thorax, but not in a line, and he's shiny and kind of hairless. And the distinction is important for us, mainly because the bumblebees do have stingers, although they're not real prone to sting. But uh, the male carpenter bee, which is the one that might come right to your nose and buzz around a little bit, he has no stinger at all. So you really, you you can... shoo him off with no danger or if you accidentally put your hand on him not not to worry but he does act like he's somebody that you <laughs> might need to fear you know so he buzzes around and <laughs> guards the females and it's one of those species the female does pretty much all the work she um, uh, another misconception although it, I guess it doesn't matter in the end. They they can be a problem because they chew wood. Mm-hmm. And people a lot of times say they eat wood, but they really don't eat the wood. They eat pollen, which is why they are good pollinators for some plants. But um, they chew the wood to make a tunnel for their babies. It's a nest. They lay a big egg in the female so she can chew several inches into wood, which, of course, can be a problem if you have several carpenter bees going about that. But um, she chews the wood, lays an egg... And then, I love this, provisions the baby. She puts in a little pollen so that as soon as it hatches, it can eat something and turn into a larva. And then she seals that little cell off with some of that wood that she chewed out. And then she'll lay the next egg, Hmm. but maybe not right that day. But eventually she'll keep filling up that tunnel with babies, each one provisioned with their little hunk of pollen so she's been working hard all the time meanwhile the male is buzzing around everything she does just being a presence and i don't know maybe he is protective maybe there's a a a threat out there that he's guarding her against but anyway they're a fun thing to watch if they get to be a problem you have too many you can um Discourage them. Of course, painted wood is the easiest way to discourage them from something. If you want to paint that wood where they're giving you a problem, you can do that. If it's wood that you don't want to paint, you can put timbor on it. Mm-hmm. It will kill that female when she starts chewing the wood. But it's a natural insecticide. It's borax, really, basically it is. You make a solution of borax and can paint it on there. So you can... Um, get rid of them if you just absolutely have to
1: got an early caller on the line looks like that's a bird comment from lewis who's calling in from Bude today good morning lewis you're on the air with us so go ahead
0: right. just how you doing um uh, my purple martin has started to come in but the sparrows or uh, the house sparrows they are taking over my gourds Is there any kind of way that you can control the sparrows
2: that is a hard one. <laughs> and we may have to see if any other callers. That's that is something that's been that's starting to happen. Where do you live? The, that you I just live in saw? Butte. In Butte, which is oh South.
0: Uh, Franklin County South,
2: with me. South Okay, good. Yeah. Well I haven't seen any or haven't heard about any yet in the Jackson area, but they're coming this way. You know, people say that February the fifteenth You should get your gourds ready. And I have had people say that that's the nightmare, is that house bearers will get in there first and they're more aggressive. Um, It's not... Legal, probably to take a nest. At. No, what if it's a house sparrow? It is, isn't it? Because they're not—they're not protected they're species, right? Yeah, they're not the. Right. the yeah, so you no—the no, the, the house sparrow is not protected. So you should be able to discourage those house sparrows in any way. Yeah, of course, it's not all that easy to do but if you can get rid of the house barrow good luck with it and if anybody has some tips they want to call i've never had success attracting purple martins to my house so i don't have that personal knowledge we do have a speaker that's going to come on in august to talk about a new purple martin study but that's not going to help you right now if anybody will call us and um i'll do some checking around at our break and see if i can find anything out if you'll keep listening Mm -hmm.
0: Okay.
2: All right. Thanks a lot. Uh huh. Good
1: luck. Thanks for your call, Lewis. Just a trivia question. Butte is the site of one of MPB's transmission towers. So that's the only way I knew where Butte was. So, um, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. My observation about uh, birds um, I was g- going to the parking lot on my way home yesterday, and this bird was just making all kind of songs and everything. And first of all, it took me a while to figure out where he was. And I. Didn't get a close enough, though. I don't think I'm observing enough. He seemed to be sort of drab colored, but anyway, my my comment is he was just going. I mean, just this song, that song. And I thought to myself, boy, that's uh, that's a tough life where he's got to just keep vocalizing like that. It's you know, uh, he was not being brief. I guess was my point, but it was very interesting uh, to listen to. And I guess because I was so close, it was it was quite loud. So
2: oh, was it? Now how how big a bird was it?
1: Bird saw. I mean, that's. Okay, so it, it, <laughs> it was a small chicken, bird. Di- I think our
2: chickadees have been the the males. Have, okay, have been singing their song that might have been recently, what it was and then. it could have been just that yeah they're amazingly loud for a tiny little bird uh,
1: I, this must be what that was then and it's it's amazing of course, to
2: carolina me. wrens too they're little and big mouthed, so you might that, but it could, it, yeah. I, I
1: don't think i would ever be a good bird watcher because i mean the tree was right next to me and he was right there in the middle of the tree and it took me several minutes to it, i'm like oh wait there it is so i don't know i've Maybe if I were to go with an ex- an established birder somewhere, I would g- get my chops. You well,
2: know. you might be the one. You know, Paul primarily, my husband primarily learns his birds from the songs and mm-hmm. the sounds. You might you might lean that way. <laughs>
1: uh as always dr major has joined us from his clinic in jackson uh, so dr major as uh, the season begins to change um i think it's a little early but i couldn't believe in february we had 80 plus degree weather at least in central mississippi yesterday what are some things that we want to think about in terms of our pets health uh as, as we transition into the spring
0: gosh that's a great question there are a lot of things going on right now and uh be thinking in terms of flea control for one thing, flea and tick control. Of course, tick control here in the south is just about year-round, but our fleas really start to multiply voraciously, that's a bad word probably, but exponentially uh, in the warm weather, and they're they're quite prolific. Uh, Be aware of your heartworm preventive. This needs to be done year-round here, but especially now as mosquito season is starting, uh, that's one thing uh we see a lot uh, this time of year uh quite frankly some dog fights uh it's seasonal in a way when i say dog fights a lot of times it hinges around dogs that are allowed to run loose or that get loose and where females are in heat or in season and sometimes this can be uh several dogs getting in a fight at that time i know that sounds kind of crude in a way but it does does happen uh, we also see an increase in the amount of ingestion of things that the dogs seem to uh, be picking up right now. We've had several uh, surgeries where we had to go in and, and remove uh, foreign body. Uh, and that's kind of seasonal to me, but I, I, I don't understand exactly why, except that maybe more dogs are out in the yard now that it's kind of stopped raining and there's things that they can pick up.
1: This is Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour is Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We're talking about freshwater fishing. Uh, If you want to join our conversation, you can email animals at mpbonline.org. We're going to start our discussion with Dennis in just a minute, but Dr. Major, just a quick follow-up. We were talking before the break on things to think about as we transition into the spring for our pets, and you mentioned fleas. So um, is excessive scratching the best way to notice if your pet's uh, suffering from fleas? Or, I guess you can also sometimes actually see them on the, on the pets.
0: Absolutely. It's a tip-off, though, if they're scratching excessively, especially if they haven't been. On the other hand, there are reasons that dogs and cats will scratch other than fleas, but uh, fleas are a very common cause of that. You usually should be able to see uh, fleas that are uh, on the dog or cat. And as the flea, what, what does the flea feed on? They actually uh, drink blood uh, from your, your pit, and then they defecate, and it leaves kind of a little uh, black residue, uh, which if you wet that, it will turn into just like dehydrated blood. You'll see something red. Also, they lay a lot of eggs, uh, and they're like white. So if you put them on a the surface, you might and pet them and rub them. You might see some uh, salt and pepper look on the, on the surface. So that's something. But uh, they're very prolific, and uh, it is time to certainly be considering flea control and how to take care of that.
1: And as you say, w- w- the climate we live in, everything they are so prolific that no matter w- w- you know who your pet is, the dog, cat, whatever, this is the time to start thinking about it, and and you need to do some sort of flea control one way or the other.
0: At this time of year, it seems like we have an abundance of allergies, too. I notice, of course, pollen's been been coming down for several days. Uh, If you notice your car, your windshield, Um, that's not to say that that type of pollen is necessarily causing most of the allergies that we see, but there are plenty of things. Remember, our dogs or cats, if they're outside, they're very close to the ground, and they pick up things off the ground that might cause an allergy. So it's always uh, realizing that fleas may not be the only reason uh, that your pet is scratching.
1: As I mentioned, our guest for this hour is Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Dennis, uh, thanks for joining us again. The last time you were on the show, you talked about fishing reports as a great resource to see what's happening in our Mississippi waters. How can people report what they're catching to contribute to those fishing reports?
3: Um. They can call us, and, and we'll uh, put them in touch with a biologist, and uh, it's uh, lake-specific, you know, so uh, we do fishing reports. I think we started at the beginning of the this month, um, and we go through November each week, but we need reliable reports um, for each water body, you know, or we, we just don't do a report for for that particular week or that water body
1: and so obviously it's good uh information for for anglers but also i would imagine there's some other beneficial reason for (laughs) for doing it i guess i mean maybe to help the the, keep an eye
3: on, on population fish population yeah the principal purpose of it is to alert people uh what what's being caught what what are the best baits uh to use what locations to go um, and you know you get reports of big fish like that too yeah
1: uh, what 's a natural lake?
3: A natural lake is 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 any lake that wasn 't built by by man so there 's hundreds of them, you know oxbow lakes which is which were once part of a river, mm-hmm. and through the natural processes, they got cut off. Uh, And so they're no longer connected to the river. And, you know, they're sort of U-shaped. If you put a U on the side, you know, uh, teardrop-shaped. They're all throughout the Mississippi River Delta and along major rivers like the Pascagoula and the Pearl. That's where most of them are, yeah.
1: Um, Is it legal to fish in a natural lake?
3: Yes, it is under certain conditions. Okay, so you could say that the, the state owns all the water in the state; uh, it's uh, it's state property. Uh, they own all the the state owns all the surface water and all the groundwater, except for that in private impoundments or ponds, lakes that that people build, Okay, so. All natural waters are considered public waters. Okay, so the public has the right to, to fish public waters if they can gain access legally. Okay, so that would be at um, launching at a public boat ramp, uh, at a park adjacent to the shore, someplace that's open to the public. Uh, launching at a private ramp that you pay a fee to do. So when you get out on the surface of of the uh, the public water, you can utilize um, that entire surface.
1: Uh, but also, uh, this would be a good time to remind folks about um, fishing licenses. I mean, so you're able to fish if you can get there legally, but you also, I think, have to have – or certain people have to have a fishing license. Could maybe remind us of, of the rules about that?
3: So um, – any one under the age of sixteen okay once you turn sixteen you have to have a uh, a statewide fishing license uh, anyone under the age of sixteen is exempt and residents sixty five years and older are exempt from the requirements to buy a fishing license you residents can fish a private pond without having a fishing license uh, unless there's a fee charge for that that pond like a fee fishing operation then everybody would have to have a fishing license so yeah you need um, you need a fishing license if you're going to fish in, in in public waters and you're between the ages of 16 and 64 or you're a non-resident uh, um, of a- any age over 16 yeah 16 and over
1: This is Creature Comforts. We're visiting this hour with Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks talking about freshwater fishing. Uh, Dr. Major's here with a pet question. So if you have a question or a comment and you'd like to join our conversation this morning, you can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. So if I got this correct, then a private water would would be something that's man-made? Am I, I don't want to confuse things, but uh, again, if you would, maybe contrast public water with private
3: water. So you can think of public water as either a natural water body or something um, like our state fishing lakes, our state park lakes, all the Pat Harrison waterway lakes, the reservoirs, that are man-made, but they're open they're open to the public. So they're considered public water too. Um, and private water is just, is restricted. Uh, the, the owner of that water controls, you know, who's allowed to fish there.
1: Um, is there a way that people can find out, uh, where the public waterways are located?
3: Now, uh, public waterways has a, a different meaning under the law. It um, it refers to flowing water, and it's uh, rivers and streams. And once it has a certain amount of flow, uh, it becomes a public waterway. And the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality has maps and lists of public waterways in the state that they have designated – and I usually tell people to go to the Mississippi Department of Environmental uh, Quality website, and there's a little search box on the top of the right uh, of their home page, and just type in public waterways, and the the link will come up. And they're arranged. There's a map. Uh, it's a little hard to see because it's a map of the whole state, uh, but it's arranged by water basin. And it might say Chunky River from its confluence with you know some other river downstream to a certain point or it might give you uh, a reference uh, from you know like highway 45 downstream to such and such and it'll give you the counties and it'll give you some gps locations
1: all right so i i don't want to confuse people and i i, think I don't want to confuse myself either but so public water and public waterway are not exactly the same thing
3: that's that's correct, even though you could say that uh, all public waterways are also public waters. But all public waters are not public waterways. <laughs> that's correct.
1: Okay, I got it.
3: <laughs> uh,
1: let's uh, take a call. Looks like a, a pet question coming in uh, for Dr. Major from Corey in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Corey. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
0: Good morning. Um, so I've got a dog
4: that no matter what I do, he just does not seem to gain weight. I was wondering if there's anything I could
0: incorporate into his food that would help with that. Good question. What, what type of dog is this? Uh, I just got him from the the shelter. They oh, said some okay, sort so. of lab mix. So this is a mixed breed, yeah. Which, and uh, how much does he weigh now? How big is he roughly? He weighs about forty pounds, but my bet that he could get up to sixty. Right, so he's, he's really thin. How old yes. is he, roughly? Do you know? Uh, just about a year and a half. Right. Have you and your vet discussed doing some blood work, or have y'all done that just to check and see if there's some issue? Done the, yes, sir. We've done the blood work, we've done the swabs, checking for worms or anything. He's right. healthy, right. He doesn't gain weight. Right. Well, certainly you need to look at your food. Uh, I would say that if you look at the ingredients, uh, he needs a good protein, but he also needs a certain amount of fat in that food. Uh, You can supplemental feed him with, uh, does he he clean up the food that you give him? In other words, he's eating well.
4: Yes, he eats well.
0: Yeah. So I, I would say this, supplement with some canned food as well. You may have tried that good quality food of course there are a lot of them out there some of them are much more expensive than others but they're still good quality foods uh i won't mention any brand names but certainly uh i would search and see what you can find is he an active dog very he- <laughs> right and this may be his, his big problem i would discuss maybe uh think if you have a friend that has uh a, let's say a dog that works for the uh, police department, those dogs are high energy. You look at a Malinois, you know that they don't gain a whole lot of fat, for example. And uh, I would say that whatever they're feeding those dogs that have high energy, uh, certainly might consult with them and see. That may help. Um, some dogs just really don't uh, gain a lot of weight. And if he's having normal stools, normal bowel movements, not having diarrhea, uh, that sort of thing, I would suggest uh, seeking a food that has maybe a higher fat content and also uh, good quality protein. Okay. So maybe those suggestions will help some. I hope it does. Okay. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Corey, for your phone call. Kevin Farrell here on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Creature Comforts, and I'm here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi uh, Museum of Natural Science. And our guest today is Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, you can join our conversation this morning. Email animals at org. So Libby, earlier in the show, I think it was Lewis called in with a question about purple martins and sparrows, I think it was?
2: Yeah, house sparrows. House yes, sparrows. So I, yeah, I did a little refresher on my knowledge of purple martins. And um, as we alluded to, I think the starlings and the house sparrows are not protected. And so, um, you know, you can do what you feel like you have to do. Uh, if you, it's legal to take the nest out if, if, they've, if the sparrows have made a nest. If they have eggs in it, it is legal to remove those. But they say that quite often the sparrow will be undeterred and will just come right back and lay a nest. Another ne- make another nest and lay another egg. Uh, you can trap the sparrows And they do sell sparrow traps. Um, Then you can humanely get rid of the sparrow or relocate the sparrow, I guess. But um, probably nobody wants the house sparrow. Be aware Mm -hmm. of that. But um, it's not an easy solution anyway to go because the... The sparrows and the starlings are a little bit more aggressive than the house than the purple finches. Usually, sometimes the purple finches will stick up for themselves. Sometimes they'll just leave, which I know is not what our caller is hoping for. If he's invested in a house, he wants those purple martins. So you really might try this any way they can discourage. Is fine. Get rid of the nest if they've nested in there. Keep trap the sparrows. Keep them away any way that that you can devise. But this is. Not an easy solution because there were all kinds of forums and uh, notices online about how to deal with Sparrow and Purple Martin conflict. Sometimes the Sparrow will even, what they call a revenge attack, and after the Purple Martin has come and laid his eggs, then the House Sparrow will come back and smash the Purple Martin <laughs> eggs. So you don't want a, bat, a mad smear, a sparrow. You got to try to make the sparrows go away without being too angry.
1: That seems very ruthless. I uh, just you know, <clears throat> but hey, I remember the old commercial they used to. That's why they call them animals. So, <clears throat> our guest on Creature Conference this morning is Dennis Ricky from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Dennis got a couple of callers on the line, but did want to talk a little bit. If you could tell us about uh, the boat ramp program.
3: Okay, so we have a boat ramp program that builds ramps, and it also builds fishing piers. And the money that you use that when you when you spend money on fishing gear and a certain amount of uh, uh, fuel that goes into boats is goes to the federal government uh, under a piece of legislation called um, uh, Sport Fish Restoration, and it's divvied up. That money is collected by the federal government, from the manufacturers, uh, and uh, it's divvied up to the states, and the states have to use 15% of that money for uh, boating and fishing access. So that's where we use, we use those funds to build boat ramps across the state, and we've built uh, over 200 on um, natural water bodies, um, and at you know reservoirs, state fishing lakes, state park lakes, long rivers and streams. Yeah.
1: Um, and how would someone find out where the ramps are located?
3: Those are, are on our website under the fishing and boating section, and there's a a lookup feature where you can give it a, a county name, and it'll it'll show you all the the ramps that we have built and or that we know of too, in in that county. Or you can search by water body yeah
1: and i would guess primarily used for anglers but if someone wanted to go out and just enjoy some time on the lake on their boat they could use these as well
3: sure sure you could you know you could use it just for you know to launch a canoe kayak just to you know float a river if you wanted to yeah all right uh let's
1: go back to the phone lines for a minute it's uh, lovey's called in from brookhaven uh good morning you're on the air with us what do you have for us today
4: Yes, I have two cats, and we just love them to death, but they won't accept love from us. Like, I want to pick them up and kiss them. What can I do to make them, you know, where they'll be more lovable?
0: Okay, are these inside cats or outside
4: cats? they inside and outside.
0: Okay. And what's the history on them that you... Uh adopt them were they feral cats that you started feeding or were they did you get them as kittens
4: no they're not feral
0: okay well cats being cats some cats do not like to be picked up i don't know why both of these are that way i would be very careful when you try to pick one up because they may scratch your bite uh, i think some cats respond to just gentle petting uh, and probably wise to just take it easy how oh, long you've been trying with this. But uh, some cats are, stay that way and they're not very sociable with people. But, uh, be very careful you know, once you get fit and scratched. Okay. So probably better not pick them up, but try to pet them. Just gently usually around the kids. And if they will tolerate that, they may come around and let you do more work. Okay? Yep. So- okay.
4: It's not not any way I can get them where I can pick them up
0: and hail them. I think it could be a problem if they resist that. A lot of the cats will bite. If I was going to try to freak them up, I would take a towel and just wrap it around the cat and pick it up and just hold it for a little bit. But some cats are like that and they're not willing to do it, so I wish I could give you a better information than that. But... Uh, I can visualize just some past experience of myself. Some cast if you pick them up, they're gonna kinda of freak out and will scratch and go by. So be very careful.
1: All right, uh, Lovey. thanks for your call. I would say my experience with a cat, I would just kind of let the cat do it on its own terms, that, that maybe if you have some treats uh, that you could give them to, and I think Dr. Major has a great idea, of begin by just maybe petting, on scratching them on the head or whatever, and then as they get more comfortable, try to pick it up. My cat uh, doesn't particularly like getting picked up too often, and he certainly lets me know about it when it happens. So uh, good luck with that. And uh, thanks for uh, giving us a call this morning. This is uh, Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, let's get one more call in. We'll get back to our discussion uh, in just a minute. But let's first go to Susan in Meridian. Susan, uh, thanks for calling in today. What do you have for us?
4: I was going to see if he has ever heard of Flathead Lake in Montana.
3: I have I have heard of that, that lake. Yeah. Well,
4: I want to just tell you this. It's the most beautiful lake. And I understand it's the largest natural lake west of the Mississippi River. And my plan is, I used to hear my mother and them say, and I know it's based on the phone, when my ship comes in. When my ship comes in, I'm going to have a place at Flathead Lake <laughs> for the summer, not the winter.
3: <laughs> yeah, that sounds nice.
4: But it is beautiful, so check it out.
3: All right. Thanks for the call,
1: Susan. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Dennis Ricky from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, so, what, uh, what, Dennis? Can people do legally on a public waterway?
3: So, on a public waterway, a designated public waterway, um, of course, you can launch at a uh, a public boat ramp or a fee ramp. Um, the important thing to remember is that the water is owned by the state. But the bank and the the, um, the bottom of the stream uh, is in private ownership. So um, once you legally gain access to the public waterway, and Kevin, if you own land adjacent to a river or stream that was a public waterway, you could give me permission to go on your land and to get to the, the stream, and you could give me permission to fish from the bank or launch a boat um or camp on the bank or a sandbar that you own but without that permission basically the public has to stay in the 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 stream or or river you can wade you can hunt you can trap you can fish you can boat um, but you can't do any camping or or fishing from the bank unless um, or from a sandbar unless you have permission from the landowner if you don't have permission you could be charged with trespassing
2: so go ahead i also want to hear you talk about the four-wheelers and what they can and can't do because so we're friends of andrews we have to mention that don't we
3: so a four-wheeler can legally cross a stream if um it's necessary for some work um the four-wheelers can't use. Let's say the stream has low flow or very little water. The four-wheelers cannot use the the stream or the riverbank uh, bed as a highway. They cannot do that without permission from all the landowners where they want to to ride. Okay.
2: Right. That's yeah. very destructive.
1: Yeah, it's
3: yeah. it's destructive in terms of fish habitat, fish spawning, crushing organisms that type of thing. Yeah.
1: And one of the things I th- that I've kind of picked up is the, uh, that idea of you are allowed to be on a public waterway, but you have to legally gain access there. And that's, I think, maybe where a lot of uh, disputes might come in. And again, as you mentioned, if I own a land adjacent to a public waterway, not everybody can just come trampsing through my land to get to the public waterway. They would need my permission. Is that Am
3: I understanding that correctly? That is correct. Now, you get into situations where people call us and say – uh, a public highway or public road crosses or touches a stream or, or river or even the, the edge of a lake you can use the, the the public road right of way as long as you stay on the right of way and fish from that point you can't launch a boat from that because it's not a normal place where boats are launched in the law it says it has to be a normal normal place for that
1: this is Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour is fisheries biologist Dennis Rickey. Libby, earlier in the show, someone left a question. Uh, is it turtle egg-laying uh, time? Do you know?
2: Um, I don't know for sure. I think that's later in the summer, but that just brings me to I just got a um, a notice about – at Clinton Nature Center next Tuesday, Will Selman's going to be talking about map turtles on the Pearl River, so he could help you with that. Six o'clock at Clinton Nature Center. And we need to get Will come back on the show when he can. Uh, I think that the eggs are usually laid, it's like late spring or early summer, isn't that right? My I husband think so. May Colin yeah. correct okay. me. But, yeah, that's what I'm thinking.
1: All right. uh, Let's uh, go to the phone lines. Our friend Kathleen is on the line from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. What do you have for us today?
4: Uh, I'm going to address the lady who called in about two cats that don't want to be lovable as much as she'd like. Right. I don't know if y'all remember, but when I got DB, (laughs) he found me like Dr. Troy said, um, he was untouchable. I started moving the bowl of food a foot a day into the laundry room, you know, and left the door one little foot, one little foot. Once he got in there, we used the pheromones. It's like a little jar and you hook it up to an electric uh plug and it fans these pheromones. It changed <coughs> these life. I've never had such a lovable cat. And uh it worked and it's still working and BB made estimated about 13 years old in November, so it worked. And i got a quick comment about bird. You know, I didn't think about it. I took a trash can lid, they're one of the plastic things, and we hadn't had water, unbelievably, in a couple of days, so I put it out in the middle of the yard, filled it up with water. They had a feast. (laughs) They were just playing and splashing and fighting, (laughs) who could get in the trash can lid made me laugh. (laughs) Then they had this little bitty yellow bird I don't know what it was. It had like a gray feathering on the wings. He took over, or she, and just went in there and splashed everybody out. He was annoying, but uh, he he visited it, too. So it just makes that little bit of difference. What time of year was it?
2: Yeah, what time of year? I'm thinking you might have had a prothonotary there in your water dish.
4: Well, I don't know. Uh I had the bowl out for a couple of days and uh, I mean the trash can lid and
2: it was in went, the summer Was it in the summer? Uh
4: I think it was in the summer uh moving on to fall. And yeah. then I I did it again this week and they were all in it. They knew, you know. So but uh I thank y'all for your show and you know I love you guys cuz right now <laughs> like Dr. Troy says I didn't adopt BB BB adopted me. <laughs> And the only two cats I have left, on um, 23 cats, are the two rescue cats, I say. And they're still with me.
1: All right. Always good to hear from you, Kathleen. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, we're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, Dennis, tell us a little bit about the fish sampling program.
3: Okay. I'll just um, use electrofishing gear where we put um, electricity into the water to stun the fish and um, we capture them we net them up we put them in the boat and we weigh and measure them and we plot that information out on as a graph and that will indicate to us uh, peaks and valleys in the graph you know number of fish at each uh, each uh, inch group or millimeters we use that too and uh, it can indicate uh, a year class strength. You know, these fish right here in this this grouping were, you know, spawned in this year. These fish are two years old. These fish are three years old. And we look at the condition factor in um, each each fish uh, in terms of, or a subsample, in terms of, for a particular length, of fish, the standard weight is supposed to be, you know, let's just say a pound. And do the fish that we're catching, do they weigh a pound for that length? length? Uh, do they weigh more than a pound, less than a pound? So it's like a you know condition factor. They're skinny, they fat, they're healthy. What's the density with the number of fish per hour or per mile of electrofishing? We might do some seining, uh of the shoreline to look at the young of the year fish. We might do trawling on certain water bodies to catch shad. Sometimes we use gill nets and hoop nets. And uh, we also do angler studies where we we look at what people are catching, what they prefer to catch, how long they fished, and how much money they spent to come fishing, and where did they travel from. And all this is designed to uh, come up and set uh, management recommendations, okay, whether it be uh, a daily fish limit, what's called a creel limit, or it be uh, a minimum length limit to encourage fish to, you know, to, to, so that they're not harvested. They stay in the population and reproduce uh, if we need to build the population up. Or if it's too many fish, let's say bass frequently get overcrowded because people just don't harvest bass like they used to. Uh, we will set a slot limit to protect a certain size, maybe 14 to 18 inches and you can harvest fish under the slot and over the slot but you can't harvest fish between 14 and 18 that's to encourage people to catch fish under 14 inches to to reduce their population numbers so that they will grow faster okay so that's the type of fish sampling we do
1: yeah. All right, <clears throat> we've got about a minute left. If you could maybe give us uh, and I know there's probably a lot of but what are some of the types of information that uh, anglers get can get from the MDFP um MDWFP website?
3: Well, they can get uh all of our regulations on commercial fishing, on sport fishing. They can have access to the boat registration requirements. There's a commercial fishing. uh, I mean, there's a a community fishing assistance program, which is little water bodies in counties and cities that are open to fishing. That we're helping the the um, local entity manage. Um, There's information on state parks, state fishing lakes. Uh, Of course, the fishing reports, fishing rodeos. Uh, A public water section, uh, reciprocal agreements where you can use your Mississippi license on border water areas. Yeah. Lots, chock full of information. So
1: check it out, uh, mdwfp.com. All right. Very good. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit Creature Comforts.com. Dot mpbonline.org. Our show was produced today by Liz Gill, and our call screener was Jason Klein. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Dennis Rickey, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned, because up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.